This podcast is a ministry of Crossroads Community Church in Hatfield, Pennsylvania. And now, the message. Well, here we are at uh, the beginning of a new year. Um, I don't know how you relate to New Year's, uh, New Year's Eve, New Year's Day, New Year's resolutions. Me, not so well. Uh, I will say this, for those of you who made a New Year's resolution to eat more healthily in the coming year, I just want to simply make sure that you understand the truth. The truth is, you won't, you won't actually live longer, it'll just seem longer. Okay? Um, thinking about New Year's Eve, like, I guess that's, it, sometimes these things help us realize where we are in life. You know, for a, for a young person, I remember Christmas, I mean, New Year's Eve was when I finally got to stay up. At my age now, it's when somebody has to make me stay up, right? Maybe you feel the same way. Every year that goes by, uh, you become a little bit more aware that, gee whiz, time is not my friend. Uh, how many times this week did I walk into a room and then try to figure out why I walked into that room? Okay. Yeah, happens to all of us. You walk in. So it's not just an issue of age, it is also an issue of distraction. We've got so many things going on. I mean, literally, this week I went, oh, that's right. It occurred to me. I almost forgot that. And I rushed into my office and I sat at my computer and went, what? It was gone already, right? <laughs> so if that is true, and, and some of you are snickering, I'm getting the sense that maybe you've experienced it too. So I'm going to suggest that in times when we can walk into a room and forget why we even walked in, it might be important for us to pause and review, to remember why it is we walked into the room, to remember why it is that you this morning walked into this room. I mean, it's not a bad thing to make attending worship a habit, and yet if you tend to walk in and you can't really remember for sure why it is I'm here, I just showed up, I landed here out of habit, I'm not sure that's what God had in mind. And so this morning I want to start a two-part series. We generally do this at the beginning of every year, for my sake as well as yours, for us to be reminded, why exactly did we walk in here this morning? Now, I'm going to suggest that for those of us who have trusted Jesus as our Savior, we, we call ourselves followers of Jesus. And so probably one of the greatest interests we have is, is what would Jesus do? Remember those bracelets? What would Jesus do? I'm going to suggest that instead of what would Jesus do, we should be more concerned with what did Jesus do? Because whatever it was that he did, that's probably going to inform what it is we believe we're supposed to do. And so, if you have a Bible, I'm going to invite you to open it up to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 6. If you don't have a copy, we're going to project the scriptures right up here, or there's a blue hardcover Bible probably in a chair near you. Uh, I'm sorry that the address is wrong. We're going to Mark 6, and then we're going to be in actually verse 6, part B. Mark 6, 6, we read this. So then Jesus went around teaching from village to village. We'll skip down to verse 32. And so they went away by themselves to a solitary place. That's Jesus. He had been teaching. Then he leaves with his disciples. But many who saw them leaving recognized them, and they ran on foot 
from all the towns, and they got there ahead of them. And when Jesus landed, so here he's trying to get away from the crowds, they follow him. And when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And so he began teaching them many things. There are many passages we could look at to create, just to make this single point, which is this, that the very first thing that Jesus did, one of the very first things that Jesus did in his ministry was that he gathered people together and he taught them. Everywhere he went, people were following. Now, later we find out that some people are just following for the free food, just following for the healings, just following for the miraculous. But in the midst of all that, many heard his teaching and recognized truth when they heard it. So the very first focal point in Jesus' ministry was a focus on truth. He gathered people together and he focused their attention on truth. We'll make, we're going to look at Jesus' life and then make application for ourselves. What is it that we, as a church body, as a group of believers, are called to do? We believe that it all starts with us gathering together and focusing attention on truth. Now, when we gather together... Focusing on truth for us has two different pieces. And the first one is this. We gather together to be edified by the Word of God. Every time we're together, we sing songs that direct our attention or actually quote from the Scriptures. We read the Scriptures. We study and expound on the Scriptures. Our focus is on the Word of God. See, it's through the Word of God that we begin to understand what Jesus was like. It's through the Word of God that the Spirit of God then uses His words to begin to change us and to transform us. The Word of God and its communication is critical to what Jesus left us here to do. Listen to 2 Timothy chapter 4. Paul, writing to this young pastor, says this, In the presence of God and of Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of His appearing and His kingdom, I give you this charge, preach the word. And he goes on to extrapolate a little bit, to expand on that. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, encourage with great patience and careful instruction. Throughout Jesus' ministry, he focused people's attention on what was true. Because I don't know if you've noticed or not, but everything that comes along in life doesn't turn out to be true, except for the stuff on the internet. <laughs> yeah, just a few years ago, there was kind of a shock, like, hey, remember, don't believe everything that's on the internet. Now with all the false news, it's going to get to the point where nobody believes anything they see on social media until they double or triple check. Not, a, not really a bad thing. But you see, that didn't start with the internet, folks. The world around us has constantly been creating its own form of reality. And over and over again, God, through his speakers, and especially through Jesus, his son, has to speak truth and say, what you see is not nearly as real as what I'm about to tell you about. And the way you think things work isn't actually what's going on. And he speaks truth. 
The reason the scriptures are so important to us is because of what they contain and what they can do. In 2 Timothy 3, we read this. All scripture is God-breathed, and it's useful for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now, sometimes, because churches want to reach people, there's a temptation to only talk about the things that are encouraging and positive and accepting and loving. I want to tell you, folks, that everything that Jesus said can be encouraging and accepting and loving. That doesn't mean that there isn't also conviction. Jesus makes claims on all of our lives. It doesn't mean that there can't be a rebuke. If something is important and we've got it wrong, someone should say, you have it wrong. They're helping us when they do that. And so the Word of God is profitable for all those things, not just to come and sing songs and leave and say, boy, that was really nice. Sometimes we need to have our toes stepped on. Sometimes somebody has to say, I don't think you're right about that. And then as we process what we have heard, the Spirit of God says, Mike, she was right. You were way off. And I'm helped. But that can only happen if we keep our focus on God's truth. It's exposure to this truth. It's not just an academic exercise. It's not simply learning more about this ancient book. Because you see, the Spirit of God uses His Word and it's those ideas and it's those thoughts, those, those things that ruminate in our minds and change our thinking, change our values. So the Spirit of God uses the Word of God to change us. Unless, of course, you want to you wanna be the same next year as you are now. Did you take some time? already in this new year, to think about where you thought, what you thought would be happening this time of year, a year ago? I've been asking myself this question. What is it that I would like to be celebrating one year from now? What is it that I would like to be rejoicing in and saying, yes, whatever that is, and I've, I've begun writing those things out. Whatever those things are, they start now. And the Spirit of God speaks through His Word to guide our thinking. So this isn't just about learning more about God, learning more about these ancient verses. It's about being changed. And so when we're edified by the Word at Crossroads, as we gather together, focused on truth, our value is learning for life change. Not learning for learning's sake. I've known some people that know far more Bible than me, but they weren't even nice people. (laughs) You know them too. Uh, Okay. Do not misunderstand me. My, My background is as a Christian educator in higher ed. I value the deep, long, lifelong study of Scripture and wrestling with doctrines and and wrestling with what God... All of that is profitable, but not nearly profitable enough if it doesn't include change. 
If I am not loving people better, then whatever I have learned is of little use. And yet I'll say this. You cannot grow in your love for people without God's truth. And so we gather together, just like Jesus gathered people together. Our focus is on truth. And we, when we gather, we are here to be edified by the word. And the value there is learning for life change. Simply put, if you can't identify something that God has changed in your life in the last six or eight or ten weeks, as you've been attending, fellowshipping with us, I want to suggest something's not right. What is it? We ought to be able to take a break. And even at coffee, somebody says, so tell me, what is it that God's been working on in your life right now? And if we have to dig, like, well, back in 1966, I was, there was this thing where if, if that's where we are, then we've missed it. Oh, there's the rebuke and now the correction. So what is it that he's laying on your heart now? What is it that the truth of God is impact, impacting on you now? So we gather to be edified by God's word. But when we gather, something else happens. We value learning for life change. And when we change and we, when we see ourselves and others growing, something bubbles up from inside. It's a sense of celebration. You see, when we gather, we also gather to worship. We exalt God. He's been so good. You kept your promise. You did what you said. You're working in me. You're working in him. You work in my husband. That's amazing. We gather together to exalt God in worship. Hebrews 13 says this. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that confess his name. A sacrifice of praise. Now, we won't go into a, a long study of the idea here, but for us in our culture, honestly, there is almost nowhere in our culture that we gather together and sing out loud together with other people. Unless you're in a choir, it happens almost nowhere except worship. You know what that means? It means increasingly, if we're not careful, our worship in our singing gets anemic. Because we're just, it feels uncomfortable. I mean, you express emotion, but it's not while you're singing. And yet, God makes it clear that actually song and expression in that way actually is, is a part of how he wired us. Colossians 2, uh, 3 says this, 3.16, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. See, that sounds very academic, doesn't it? Very cognitive. The word of God, teaching, admonishing, wisdom. And then right with that, and as you sing with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, with gratitude in your heart. Now, I love music. And yet, if I'm honest, even in my personal worship, I seldom break out into song. See, we laugh. We're like, that's weird. I'm just going to tell you, you know, I've found myself asking, why is that? I wonder if my personal worship is anemic. So anemic that it doesn't happen to just break out in a song. Now, yes, you, you all want to be praying for my wife now. Because it's just going to be a little scary when all of a sudden you hear this howling coming from my office. Ah, ah, you're right. But since, since even preparing to talk about this, I have been convicted 
Why is it that it doesn't just come to me? I wonder if there's something wrong with my worship. We gather together to sing. Now, it might be a stretch to say you're going to start doing this in the car in the commute to work. Although that's a safe place, right? Or at home or whatever. But at the very least, when we gather together, you could sing. Sing those songs and express those emotions. Think about what we're singing. Send us into the homes of the broken, really? Does that include my family? Oh, God, yes, send me. But equip me. I don't know what to say. And before you know it, there'll be a tear running down your cheek, too. So we gather together to worship. There's a triple effect of worship. God is pleased as we worship. But also the, the world witnesses that. As they watch that kind of... Now, they're not looking in right now except for Facebook Live. Hi, everybody in the world. But they do notice when there's passion. God is pleased and the world notices. And by the way, when we gather and we begin to minister and worship, it's the very first opportunity to really minister to one another. I don't know if you've ever thought about the effect that you have on the person who's trying to sing next to you. You don't have to have a beautiful canary voice. All you have to do is be the one who's worshiping passionately. You know how it works, because otherwise we'd be like, yeah, it's a good song. I mean, good. Interesting, yeah. yeah. He's not bad on the guitar. It's pretty good. Yeah. Drums are a little loud. No, actually, not loud, though. Like, oh, look, there's a guy there back, back there behind the music stand on the piano. Huh, didn't even see him. Yeah. Right? Have you ever stood next to one of those crazies in here? And their hands are up or their eyes are closed and they're singing and you think they're making a fool out of themselves? <laughs> or have they caught something that you are just missing? It won't happen. Listen, folks, don't worry. Don't be afraid. It won't happen against your will. <laughs> you won't catch it. You'll only catch it if you try. So starting next week, we're going to turn that camera around and we're going to film you during the service. <laughs> Yeah, we've been watching ourselves afterwards going, oh my word, I can't believe this is so terrible. Like, we're going to flip it around on you guys once. You just wait. You, you, you don't realize how hard it is looking at it this way. I understand how hard it is looking this way. We gather together to worship. So as we exalt God in worship, the value is celebration. We cheer. I was at a church once, and they had a habit. And when I first saw it, I thought it was a little ridiculous. But they took this seriously about celebrating God. And the, I remember the pastor said, when you want to celebrate something, what do we do in our culture? And we're like, ah. Uh, he says, we actually kind of cheer, right? We go, yay! So what in the world, he said, what's wrong with going, yay, God? Yay, God. Boy, that sounds spiritual, yeah? And yet when they, throughout their worship, almost every Sunday it would happen. 
or they'd finish a set, music would stop, people would go, and it's just spontaneously, yay God! It almost sounds like you're cheering for the Eagles. <laughs> Back when we used to cheer for the Eagles. <clears throat> Do we come ready to cheer? Ready to say, yay God? Or are we coming basically because, well, actually, there's, you know, he's actually kind of let me down this week. He did not answer everything. And frankly, it's just been kind of mediocre. And, whew, okay, if that's how you want to come. But when we gather, our value is to be worshiping. So we're edified by the word. We value learning for life change. We exalt God in worship. We value worship as celebration. That's why we walk into this room. The first reason is because we gather just like Jesus did. But that's not all that happened. The next thing that Jesus did in this kind of strategy of his is that he connected with his followers. Now, we won't take the time today because in a little bit we're going to take the Lord's table but if you were to follow along in the passage that we started in in Mark chapter 6, you would see what happens next, that Jesus teaches. And then as he's traveling along, he, he, the, the disciples are with him and, and they witness several healings. There's a paralytic man who's carried by friends and the disciples watch those friends get that guy to Jesus, whatever it takes. Two blind men are given their sight. A man who can't hear is given his hearing back. And then, and then a little later in the story, a girl who was dead brought back and put in the arms of her parents. The disciples were there with him as Jesus cast a demon out of a demonized man. Everybody knew this guy was demonically crazy, and suddenly there he is in his right mind. They witnessed that. They were on the boat fearing for their lives when he said, shh. And the water became like glass. Each of these experiences would have been life-changing for us. And they experienced one after another after another. And then in the midst of all that, as he was teaching, there were times when he stopped. They would, they would get away and they'd say, uh, hey, Jesus, can we ask you a question about that parable? Like, what's the meaning there? And then Jesus would speak to them and give them the meaning that he wasn't giving to the rest that were listening. He gave them special insight and training. He spoke to them about the cost of following him. He goes, I just want to make sure you guys understand that continuing to follow me will come at a cost. He even taught them how to pray. And as they're doing all this ministry, he turned back to them and he said, you guys should be praying that the Lord would send more laborers into the field because it is ripe. All of those actions simply were they just disconnected little vignettes? Or did Jesus have a purpose? He, it was obvious that he was living with them, eating with them, sleeping with them, walking with them, working with them, recreating with them. He invested. He connected. It, the question is, why? 
Why did Jesus connect with them? Now, if we follow our little thing, he gathered people around truth, we gather around truth. He connected with those that were following him. And so our second step in our strategy and our values is that we connect. But the question still has to be answered. Why? When we read all of that, do you think that he was doing that just because he was a social guy and they were social people and so that's just what social people do? Friends enrich our lives. Is that what Jesus was doing, was building friends? Or was there something else going on? Well, let's read on. Matthew 10. Verse 1 we read, And Jesus called his disciples to him, and he gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. Skip down to verse 5. And these twelve he sent out with the following instruction. Don't go to the Gentiles or any of the towns of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. And as you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven is near. Heal the sick. Raise the dead. Cleanse those who have leprosy. Drive out demons. Does that list sound familiar? It's a list of the same exact things that they had experienced before this commissioning. Now, I want you to notice, they're not being sent to the world yet. He says, don't go to the Gentiles, don't go to the Samaritans, just go to the Jews. What this is, is training. What he's saying is, you watched me do it, then you did it with me, now I want you to go do it. There was a strategy in Jesus connecting with others. He says, freely you have received, freely give. He even speaks to the motives. You see, they had been called into the comforts of his presence in order to be sent out to those who were still lost. If we are honest... We tend to think that we love Crossroads. We love our church because of the friends and the people and the welcome. And if we're not careful, we tend to think that that was the goal. That was not Jesus' goal, to create a group of friendly, welcoming people who wanted to help. He exposed them. He connected with them so that they could do ministry together, so they could watch him do it, and then essentially he would send them out. Their connecting had a purpose. We always talk about we want crosswords to grow and we want to reach more people, and we envision just more of our friendliness. I think Jesus would say, why are there so many left here? Because gathering together and connecting is for a purpose, and it is to be sent out. That shouldn't be a big surprise to us. You know what Jesus said in Mark 10, just a little bit later, verse 45. For even the Son of Man did not come to serve, to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. But in Mark 3, Jesus spells it out. Mark says, he appointed the 12 that they might be with him. That's connecting. Do you know the person sitting next to you? Do you know their name? Do you know what they do? Do you know what they enjoy? Do you know what God's doing in their lives? Is there anyone in this room 
that knows you well enough to know how to pray for you and that you know them well enough? How long has it been since you checked in on them? What's God doing? How can I help? Let me tell you what happened in my life. Did you get a chance to finish reading that passage that we talked about? How are you applying it to your life? I can't wait to tell you what my wife said I should be doing. He appointed the 12 that they might be with him and that they might, that he might send them out. We only connect for this reason, guys, not for us. We come in and we connect so that we can be equipped to be sent out. Do you know what happens to biblical community when we forget that second piece? Biblical community becomes a club. Some of you, before you came to Crossroads, you visited one of those churches. Not bashing anybody. It can happen to us if we don't do this regularly. You know, you walk in the foyer, and everybody's chatting and talking. You can tell they've known each other forever. And they walk in and go, oh, hi, here. And they hand you a bulletin. Anyway, so and they're just talking, and you go in, you can see people, and everybody knows what they're doing, and they almost think you're invisible. I mean, oh, they would be friendly eventually once you got to be one of them. That's what happens to biblical community if we forget that Jesus himself had a reason for connecting with his followers. It wasn't because he was creating a club. He was going to get rid of them. He was equipping them to send them out. Why are you in my home group? Why are you in my men's discussion group? Why are you sitting here in this Thrive class? The only right answer is because I want to get whatever it takes to be sent out and do what Jesus wants me to do. He connected with his followers deeply and authentically, but his focus was to equip them so that they could carry on his mission. So when we gather together, we worship, and we are exalted, we exalt God, and we're edified by his word, we're built up. And then we connect with one another, we're intentional about that. Whatever, whatever works best, a group in a home, a men's group, a ladies' group, or whatever, a ministry team, all, everybody helping with children's ministry, everybody helping with love and action, whatever, everybody helps with set up chairs, whatever that team that you're a part of, even that is a part of being, not just being part of a community, but a community that is being equipped for mission. This is not a cruise ship. This is a battleship. You're being trained to do your part. Now, I just got to be honest. We can get a lot better at training. In fact, that's my pledge, that we will continue to get better at training. But I want to give you permission right now that if you don't know what it is you're supposed to do, it actually already happened this week. Already happened, somebody wrote me, hey, love Crossroads, love what God's doing, thanks for everything. What am I supposed to be doing? Please write me. Say, Mike, you're not doing your job. Your team's not doing your job because I don't know what to do and I certainly don't know how to do it. That's the business we're in. 
Acts would be fun, but we don't have time this morning. You all, perhaps if you've been around church and you've been around the scriptures, you know what happens in Acts 2, that the Spirit of God comes down and the church is birthed. And we read that they, were devo- they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to breaking of bread. Everyone was filled with awe. All the believers, and it goes on and on and on. We won't read it this morning. But it talks about what this church was like. Often people will say, boy, I wish I could go to a church like the old, you know, like the New Testament church. Do you know what made this first body of believers so exciting? Well, it's all underlined. They, 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 they. It was the people that were in it. Wouldn't you love to go to a church where God shows up? Where you love to go? When you're out sick, you feel like you missed something? Wouldn't you love to be a part of a church that's just changing people's lives? Then make it so. We make Crossroads what it is. I find it interesting. When Jesus was talking to his disciples in one of the most intimate conversations he had with them just before he went to the cross, John 15 records this. He says, I am the vine. What a powerful image he creates of interconnectedness. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit apart from me. You can do nothing. Throughout this passage, he works that image of interconnectedness. We've got to be connected to him and obviously other branches connected to one another. Did you ever stop to imagine, ask yourself for a moment, in this vine and branches, we understand Jesus is the vine. He's this important part and we're the branch. But did you ever stop and realize which end of that whole process the fruit grows on? Do you know the fruit doesn't grow on the vine? It grows on the branches. He wants you and I to experience fruit, growth, change, the stuff that makes life worth living. That's why interconnectedness is so important. Not just to have friends, not to be comfortable. We're going to close with this. Hebrews 10.24, the writer of Hebrews says this, Therefore, brothers and sisters, he's finishing up his sermon just like I'm finishing up mine. He's going to wrap everything up. He goes, therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus. Now, he's talking to Jews who have this kind of background of a temple, and so he's talking about holy place or whatever. We're like, what? He says, we're going to come before God by a new and living way opened us opened up for us through the curtain that is his body. A new and living way, why was that important? Because up until now, they approached God with dead animals and blood. Now because of the lamb, Jesus, the lamb of God, they approach in a new living way. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, again, (laughs) you don't think of me as a high priest, but their background, so, so it used to be this way, but now we have a living savior. He says, let us draw near to God. Why did you come in this room today? Do you remember? He says, let us draw near to God. That sense of worship and connectedness with a sincere heart and with full assurance of, that faith brings. And he says, and 
See, if you're tempted to think that worship is, well, it's all about God. See, God should be glorified. It's me and God, me and God. Hold it. You can't exalt God and worship him and ignore the person next to you. Now you say, well, actually, Mike, that's not true because I've done it for years. (laughs) And can we just be honest? That's what we're fighting today. That's exactly what we're fighting. We all know that we can do that. The question is, will we do that? And let us consider, I want you to consider, how you may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. You look across the row and you say, he's not my problem. Can you hear Jesus saying that about you? Him? It's not my problem. Not giving up meeting together, as, the hab- as some are in the habit of doing. And we're not going to get off on that, but let's just be honest. People come to church once every five weeks now because of the pace of life. All he's saying is, if this happens best here, not only here, that happens throughout our week all the time, but if for some of us who are just starting, it starts here, then get here. And invite one another here and and plan to be here. But encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. We all remember 9-11. All of a sudden, all of life has changed. Boom. There is a day coming when the falling of two buildings will seem like nothing. People that talked about buildings falling before they fell sounded like lunatics. I would have laughed at you if you told me that that was imminent. Right. Afterward, it's simply a fact that everyone in the world knows about. Do you understand that Jesus is coming back? And those that talk about it now sound like lunatics. But the moment after it happens, it'll simply be a fact Do you and I live like that? So we gather focused on truth. We want to be edified by the word so we can value learning for life change, not just academics. We are exalting God in worship. We want to celebrate. You're going to hear me once in a while now. We're going to be in worship. I'm going to say, yay, God, and you're going to snicker. I'm not snickering. You should have yelled it before me. This is going to look really, it's going to sound really weird on Facebook Live, sorry. And then we connect. But we connect with one another, not because we're nice people. I've had people visit Crossroads. Oh, you guys are just all so nice. Or somebody that we help with love and action. Well, you guys are just so nice. I tell them, yeah, actually, we're not. (laughs) I mean, no, you are. It was so nice to help. No, no. No, we're only doing this because we, we saw it done. We learned it from Jesus. We're trying to be like him. But actually, we're not nice people. Who are you pursuing to connect with? Because you want to invest in them, and you need them to invest in you. Are you being equipped to serve? So we value the needs of others. 
how you feel about this is more important than how I feel. Well, they didn't sing my favorite songs. It has nothing to do with you. The needs of others. We value authentic relationships. That means more than just saying hello on a Sunday. Now, I'm glad to say that it happens here. If you've been here for a little while, there's a really good chance somebody said, hey, you want to get together and get coffee? You want to get a soda? You want to get something to eat? Right. Somebody, why did they do that? Because we are eating and drinking machines. <laughs> no. It's because we know that we can't even begin to do what it is we want to do until we get some more time together. What do you mean, what you want to do? We want to control your mind. We want, we want to take over your life. No, we want you to change. We want us to change. Authentic relationships. And frankly, lastly, we value new relationships, which means just about the time that you really like your circle of friends, you're going to have to say goodbye to some of them. You know why? Because we don't have life, room in our life for more than about 80 contacts. And so eventually you have to say, hey, listen, you know, I really like talking to you on Sunday, but i got to stop talking to you on Sunday because there's some new people over here that I haven't even met yet, okay? So maybe during the week, and we make room for new people, not just in the seat next to you, but in your life. You see, we expect to be kicked out of your, our spot. That's why Jesus did what he did. So the question isn't, what did Jesus do? The real question for us is, in this coming year, are we going to do what Jesus did? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you have redeemed us, but you redeemed us. Yes, you loved us. How do we say this? But you didn't just love us. You loved us, but then you also had an intent to send us out. It's so easy for us to forget that. Once we've been welcomed into your presence, once we've enjoyed the comforts of your grace and unconditional love, we're tempted to think that you intend for us to stay in that spot. And the truth is, from the moment you brought people in, you began equipping them to send them out. Luckily, we never leave you because you too are going out. We join you in the work. We as a church exist, not for ourselves, but for those who have never even heard about us yet, never even heard about you yet. Lord, I pray that those that are here today, some, if there's somebody here that has never trusted you, that they would realize that you love them enough to die for them. You gave your life, and that life can be theirs if they accept it by faith. But for the majority of us who have heard that message and believed on your name, who sit in these seats and at least we, we, we occupy the place of a disciple, remind us again of why it is that you came to focus our attention on truth. And we, we respond to be like you by focusing on your word and worshiping. And then you came to connect with those who followed you deeply and authentically, but the purpose for those connections is so that we could be equipped to be sent out. Lord Jesus, 
Teach us to do as you've done. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. Intro music by bensound.com. Visit us online at crossroads-cc.org.